You're listening to the Data Point Podcast, brought to you by The Hindu. I'm your host, Sonika Loganathan. Last month, Chennai hosted the 44th Chess Olympiad. Hosted by the All India Chess Federation and organized by the World Chess Federation, known more commonly by its French acronym, FIDE, it was the first chess Olympiad to be hosted in India. But Tamil Nadu has long been a part of chess history. India has 75 grandmasters, of which 27 are from Tamil Nadu. I'm joined today by my colleague Srinivasan Ramani, who has been following chess and specifically followed the Olympiad very closely. Srini, first off, you got to see some of the matches in person. How cool was that? That was quite cool, Sonika. You know, as a fan, uh, to see the Chess Olympiad conducted in Chennai was an awesome experience. Uh, just to see the world's best players, of course, the Russians and the Chinese were not part of the action. Uh, but to see the world's best players in action was exhilarating. Of course, it's easier to f- it was also easier to follow the games online, but to see these players in flesh was a good experience. I was excited, as were uh, most Indian fans, that Chennai not only hosted the Olympiad, but uh, Indian players performed well be- beyond expectations and won a host of team and individual medals. So in this Olympiad, India won nine medals, and that's a pretty big deal. Absolutely, absolutely. So in the open section, uh, the India 2 team, which featured four of India's best under-20 grandmasters, most of them were teenagers, four of them rather, they won the bronze medal and that's huge because uh, if the Olympiad was conducted somewhere else, uh, they might possibly not even have participated. But for them to participate and you know almost come within in just a whisker of winning the gold medal was a brilliant performance. The uh, top seeded Indian women's team also registered their best ever performance with a bronze of their own and several indi- individual players won medals. And Chennai's uh, own uh, D. Gukesh, he was spectacular. He won gold on the uh, top board and his was the best performance among men. So besides Gukesh, who else had an amazing performance that caught your attention? Right. So Gukesh won the uh, the best performance on the top board. Nihal Sarin was very good on the second board. Uh, both of them were teammates. Pragnananda did quite well on uh, the third board for India 2. For India 1, Arjun Erigesi, he did quite well. He was on board 3. Ronak Sadwani also played pretty well. He won some very uh, you know, tight and interesting games. And uh, the India 2 team was overall very, very good. Uh, in the women's uh, team, the, f- the first team again, uh, which had Koneru Hampi, Vaishali, Tanya Sasdev, uh, Bhakti Kulkarni and uh, Dronavali Harika, who was pregnant uh, while she played uh, the, the Olympia. They did re- really well. They faltered in the last round. They came very close to winning uh, the to- tournament. But overall, it was... All in all, a very good uh, show for not just the conduct of the Olympiad, but in terms of performance with the Indian teams as well. So we had two medals being won in the Open tournament and then seven individual medals as well. Two gold, one silver and four bronze. Absolutely. Spectacular performance. And uh, this was not just reflected in, in terms of the medals that the players won. But in terms of their, uh, you know, performance that lifted their uh, ELO ratings, Gukesh and Arjun, for example, both crossed the super GM mark, that is 2700 on the ELO system in live ratings during the Olympiad, making them India number two and India number five respectively by the end of the Olympiad. Now, Arjun Erigesi has even uh, progressed further. Uh, As we speak, uh, he has now become India number two. 
So speaking of ELO ratings, I think it's interesting that in chess, compared to other sports, this ELO rating system is able to rank players in a kind of objective manner. Can you explain this a little bit? Yeah, so the ELO rating system, what it does is it calculates the relative abilities of chess players and ranks them based on performance. How each player fares against others and calculates points based on wins and draws and so on. Now, for example, Magnus Carlsen, who is the current world champion, he's the strongest chess player. His ELO rating is 2861. That's quite high. And this is a particularly good time for India to look at ELO ratings, live ratings, because we have five Indians having an ELO rating about 2700. All right. So let's get a little bit deeper into this. I want to know more about the recent chess boom and how these players are achieving these incredible milestones. So, Srini, who better to talk to than India's first grandmaster, five-time world chess champion, and the deputy president of FIDE, Vishwanathan Anand. Vishi, thank you so much for joining us today. Vishi, uh, it's clear that the people who stole the show in the chess Olympiad held at Chennai were youngsters, uh, especially the bronze medal winning India 2 team, most of whose players were coached by you in your academy, right? Uh, this team featured four teenagers and came close to winning the Olympiad as well. Why do you think there is this sudden boom in interest in chess in India and this is really reflected in the increase in the number of uh, grandmasters lately, right? So, in a sense, you could draw a line. Uh, so, in 1987, I became the first grandmaster and then my dominant role was a, that of a player uh, with my successes, uh, especially the World Championship title. Chess got a lot of attention. Um, a lot of youngsters decided to take to the game, take part. Then there's a, maybe a second stage when uh, the first generation of grandmasters to follow me. So we went from one to six grandmasters to ten. And a lot of these grandmasters then went on to form their own academies and coaching institutes and become uh, very successful trainers. In fact, some of the best trainers in the world. So in a sense, the... The structure, the ecosystem, if you like, was building up. And then we have this uh, third wave of grandmasters. And, and by the way, I'm using the terms loosely because uh, we are now at 75 grandmasters. So uh, there might be one or two in between, but roughly uh, this is how it happened. We seem to have a golden generation on our hands right now. This group or this cohort of uh, players, all under the age of 20, all in that sense, still juniors all grandmasters, and breaking out. I mean, we saw their potential, but I did not expect or I wasn't, uh, you know, absolutely confident that they would all break, start breaking 2700 uh, by this year. And they've started to do that. And I think it's also important to note that these teenagers have become grandmasters just after the pandemic. So I wonder what the impact of the pandemic might have been on these players. Pragnananda, for instance, is doing it in a virtual sense. During the pandemic and uh, in the time after, uh, he's not played a lot of events where he can actually gain rating points. So uh, he's lagging in that sense, if you look at the rating list. But really, I would include him in this top group of three. So Gukesh, Arjun Erigaisi and Pragnananda. These three, in a sense, have broken out. Nihal Sarin is uh, still there. You can call him a fourth member of the group. And he's recently started to move upwards. So this is the absolute uh, top group we have. But then there's a second group behind. Ranak Sadwani, Leon, these youngsters who are uh, bringing up 
the next wave already. And again, let me emphasize, uh, we talk about potential, but you kind of have to recognize that uh, some of them already gotten there. Uh, Arjun and uh, Gukesh are now comfortably over 2,700. And um, both of them had spectacular performances in the Olympiad. Okay, how significant is it that Chennai was able to host the Olympiad? It was also a bit serendipitous that in February this year, there was no sign of a chess Olympiad happening in Chennai. Then suddenly within, uh, by the end of that month, that became a realistic prospect that Tamil Nadu government moved uh, very fast and together with the All India Chess Federation and, you know, the center supporting uh, the bid, uh, we got the Olympiad in Chennai. And then, you know, somehow the dots all connected. In fact, the, the system didn't catch up because a lot of people in the India 2 team, the junior team, would have comfortably been in the one team. But the system hadn't caught up because in May they were still, we were following the rating list and uh, the system said, okay, they, we can have a second team and put them there. And then the second team goes and blows everyone away. Uh, they had the gold medal uh, one day, I mean, just in the penultimate round, in their hands. And it slipped up, which itself was, you know, sports drama, sports tragedy. But it shouldn't take away from the fact that uh, everything was very, very successful. Um, so it's part of a broader trend. But at the same time, you can't ignore how things just came together. I mean, the Olympiad was fine. That was... Uh, huge for India. At the same time that a lot of our players got a chance to showcase because three times the number of players got to play the Olympiad as normally would have. The women's team was doing as well. And then you, in the background, you can see the people who make a difference. There are lots of coaches, uh, R.B. Ramesh and Sham Sundar, who were coaches in the two teams. Besides that, Abhijit Kunte is doing some work in uh, Pune. And so a lot of different threads connected because the Olympiad turned out to be the perfect place for everyone to have a chance. And now... We have this uh, thing where uh, for the last year and a half, I have been uh, having the Westbridge Anand Academy and uh, Arjun from the one team and uh, four out of the five players from the India two team are in that academy along with many of the girls. So Vaishali plus uh, Divya, Vantika, Bhakti were all uh, playing in either the A or the B teams, uh, the women's one or two teams. And um, um, that was even slightly unexpected because um, um, our uh, women's team was for a long time depending on um, Humpy and Harika, who are not exactly new. But even there, you know, Tanya did very well, Bhakti did very well, Vaishali did very well. So it seems there's some new momentum in, in, on the women's side as well. Um, so all in all, very exciting. And now it seems that uh, how to channel this new situation. Mm, you spoke about the chess ecosystem in which uh, grandmasters become world-class coaches, uh, helping uh, further the chess boom in India. It's no coincidence that the top young performers in India today have been part of your Westbridge Academy as well. Could you tell us more about this academy? Um, is it similar to the Botvinnik Academy in the erstwhile Soviet Union uh, that helped train their best players? Do you see some parallels between what's happening now in India with what happened in the Soviet Union over a period of time? Very much. I mean, it's nice you brought up the Batmanic Academy because, yes, that was one of my uh, inspirations. Of course, 
time and technology have rendered uh, that academy and my academy slightly unrecognizable to each other. But uh, that was the idea. So famously, Botvinnik had a, a, an academy where he would meet once every six months, I think, with uh, the most promising youngsters. So I'll name two of the promising youngsters, Karpov and Kasparov, just to give you a sense. Um, the funny thing with a legend goes with Karpov, he said, this young boy has no talent. But then famously later corrected himself, but just an aside. And um, But this was an academy for a different time. Times have changed and everything is moving very fast now. So if we met every six months, it would no longer be enough. And during the pandemic, we couldn't meet at all. But then we made a virtue out of this and have we have uh, six to seven classes given by strong grandmasters in uh, online. It had to be during the pandemic, but it makes a lot of sense even afterwards because not everyone lives in the same place. So what we do is we have a, you know, a monthly uh, schedule of all the classes we have. Um, the classes are stored so that in case you miss the class, they can look it up. And the idea was to get into a regular system of working and working often and trying to improve, uh, getting all these strong players to pass on their experience. And I felt my key role was, uh, was really sharing my experiences uh, because they're at that stage where uh, undoubtedly they'll make mistakes and they'll learn from them. But I thought if I can at least spare them one or two mistakes that they don't have to make themselves, that's uh, where uh, I could chip in and, you know, to share my experience on. At the same time, I have to be careful because uh, we live in a modern computer era. So the background has changed and uh, you have to uh, try to share your experiences in a modern context. Uh, sort of, you know, this is what I faced, but I think this is how you will face the same thing, that sort of thing. But um, in the year and a half, we set some goals and all I can say is uh, they have gone way past. So they've exceeded every goal I set and every time uh, slot I set for them. So uh, that's uh, very, very nice to have. Uh, you mentioned this phrase in the modern context. Uh, are you hinting at the fact that now computers play a major role in any chess player's development? Uh, when starting out, chess is relatively in inexpensive, but for a professional player, it does end up being quite an expensive prospect, isn't it? Most chess tournaments are held in Europe and you yourself had shifted to Europe for a significant portion of your career. Should India now be hosting more close tournaments with high-ranking players who could play each other more and more and not travel abroad? How would you envisage this as you are also now the Deputy President of, of the FIDE? To be honest, I think uh, with uh, computers and uh, thing, what has happened is a kind of levelling where anybody whether they are an amateur or a professional, essentially with open source engines has access to the same uh, level of answers as anyone else. So what is key here in the growth of a chess player is really understanding, understanding the answers, being able to implement them um, and focusing on what a human play at the board. So everything is moving faster. The chess world is moving faster and faster. And I think uh, we can already see that careers are getting shorter. And I believe that trend will continue into the future so that we may end up in a situation where people start retiring at the age of 35 in the future. It's not impossible. It uh, Maybe you can drag it out a bit more. You can, uh, But chess careers are shorter. The emphasis on fitness is going up. 
because if you can't differentiate yourself with the quality of your analysis then the focus has to shift on shift on other sporting uh, qualities your ability to handle tension for longer so that's where the fitness comes in your ability to contextualize the information it may give the computer will give the same answer to everyone how do you bring it out and so on anyway uh, the broader point is yes uh, india should organize uh, more tournaments it's not that it hurts the top players but if a tournament happens here then you have the chance to engage with the fans uh, you have a better chance to engage with the media as well popularize the game bring in more sponsors you know the virtual the positive feedback loops uh, start to happen so that uh, is very important also inevitably uh, players will need financial support uh that's another thing to look at so fide will try to uh, enable this and uh, one of the focuses i will have is how to bring some uh top events here maybe not the olympiad right away because for the next two editions it's going elsewhere but uh, other big events uh, also put an emphasis on the women's game and uh, shall we say grow the sport and that's what uh, the chess community should be trying to do because uh, now we have the youngsters we have the players who will keep chess in the news and how do you capitalize on that uh, but broadly speaking fide continues in its uh, goal to make chess popular everywhere but can hardly ignore that the momentum is very strong in india now and so i believe the focus also has to be india uh, vishy you are also from tamil nadu that has produced the highest number of grandmasters uh, followed by other states in the south of india there are of course quite a few grandmasters in west bengal some in maharashtra and a few in delhi as well but it's quite clear that the concentration in interest for chess as well as the number of grandmasters is much more in south india specifically tamil nadu as compared to the to north india or east india for that for that matter do you think that the socio economic conditions of a place can impact interest in chess and also the number of grandmasters and good players that are produced can we draw such a correlation between socio economic conditions and uh, you know the number of good players produced so there there is a broad correlation between where is chess played and where it continues to be played so when there was already a foothold those regions developed fast uh, so we say the south but really it's tamil nadu maharashtra bengal andhra pradesh had a peak at the time of harikrishna and hampi when they were both there at the same time they had a peak as well um and i would guess these four states uh, dominate in some ways um they may be 60% or 80% of the total i'm not 100% sure of this i think one of the reasons is these are also highly urbanized states because chess in india is uh, not only a regional phenomenon it's a urban phenomenon i mean it doesn't hurt that we have chennai mumbai kolkata uh, and delhi has a strong presence as well though it's a kind of island um so that is another obvious thing we we say that india is doing very well in chess and i am happy that we are one of the top countries just with a few sp- states but that that suggests that the obvious task is now to get more and more people playing and that has become much easier thanks to uh, phones and uh, websites and uh, online chess uh, at least your first steps into the game are, are much easier and that's the key that's where i think we can uh, drive chess uh, and make it a truly national sport i believe the lead in uh, these states will kind of, will be there for a while but uh, the gap can close very fast uh, that at least should be the object 
I read somewhere that uh, Judith Polgar, one of your contemporaries and the strongest woman chess player, uh, she runs the uh, Judith Polgar Chess Foundation, which introduced the Chess Palace, which is essentially a chess program in to schools in Hungary where she is from. Now, the aim, according to the website, is to provide a unique and complex chess curriculum focusing on cross-curricular linkages and so on. Now that we see that there is a fair and growing chess ecosystem that is, you know, slowly blooming in India, do you think that chess should be part of the school curriculum in India in the country? I would like it to be part of the school curriculum, but given uh, that education is uh, at the school at the school level is uh, let's say a state responsibility uh, or at least partially a state responsibility i think we'll have to accept that it will probably not be a national solution i'm happy if uh, chess is available in the school and there is some you know some a good coach who's able to uh, inspire youngsters to give it a try even that's the most difficult step for someone to just want to try something and uh, chess is a wonderful mental game which develops a lot of skills in the way that physical sports uh develops your body this develops your mind and uh, it fits into that environment i think it would be wonderful if it happened uh but we'll have to uh, accept that uh, in india it will not be even to my mind in spain as well one of the couple of the regions are going much faster than other regions and i have i have a sense that you know that's good enough we can start from there and then build it upwards Do you think that the government should be investing more in chess because I mean with other sports we've seen that there hasn't been as much funding as players would like so when it comes to chess because there's this boom of course you know it will depend on the state governments but overall do you think that there should be more funding or more attention paid by the government towards building the sport Yes uh, this is one sport where it seems that we are competing quite well without a lot of uh, support already so then you know the obvious thing is how much better it would be if uh, we had a lot of backing it seems to be um, popular everywhere um, and uh, the short answer is yes uh, the government should uh, support it more clearly we saw an attempt in uh, tamil nadu where the tamil nadu government almost adopted chess for a few months had the olympiad and really but they are uh, giving some unprecedented support because i think they see that tamil nadu excels in this um, sport and tamil nadu even if, as a standalone state would be amongst the top nations in uh, chess support for youngsters support to make chess easy to play and easy to access not only in urban areas but especially in rural areas seems like a very natural thing for the government to do uh, and so these are a couple of the areas i would like to see them help more if someone is listening to this podcast and you know they've just started getting interested in chess they have seen all of this buzz after the olympiad and they want to become you know a chess player but they don't have access to the resources that other people might have or more established players might have what would you say they need to do how do they make use of whatever resources that they might have and how do you grow because obviously there is a layer of privilege that comes with you know once you're at a certain level and can attend these tournaments and you know can travel to go to these other tournaments that are outside the country so how do you go from you know just wanting to play to becoming a grandmaster 
you know, professional player. a professional player. Okay. Assuming you're just starting out and I'm even going to go one step backwards and say, you don't even know the rules, but you're curious about the game. So a good place to start is to learn the rules. Now, if you have someone nearby who knows how to play and can get you past that, perfect. If not, uh, and by the way, this is also a theme will repeat itself. If there's someone in your town, if there's someone thing, great. If you can compete in a room with others, fantastic. But if not, uh, there's a very practical, viable alternative, which is online chess. Um, so you could sign up to a site. The biggest chess site in the world is chess.com. And they have um, something called chesskid.com for obviously kids. Uh, that's a very, very good place to get started. It gives you access to a place where you can play, challenge anyone. It'll find someone of your level for you from, I don't know, 50 million subscribers across the world. It will um, uh, keep a rating for you. Uh, so it'll keep ranking you. There are at every stage, it'll give you uh, options, uh, tips on how to improve. Uh, you can analyze your game easily. And I'm talking of someone who has no other resource. So what, is ha- what technology has made possible is this level of uh, interaction is already possible, even when uh, uh, there are no chess players within miles. Then the next stage is you could watch uh, live tournament broadcasts. Uh, so literally, you're watching the broadcast with commentary. There are people doing commentary explaining the games. It's a slow learning method, but it's very effective. The key then, I would say, is that you play often. You get better by playing often. So just play five games a day, seven games a day, something like that. Uh, you can play short time controls or longer ones, but just get in a few games a day. And then you're starting to improve. Also, you're starting to realize what are the areas you need to improve on. And then... See, otherwise you don't know what questions to ask. Now you slowly get better. And uh, this is a method that even the strongest players in the world use to keep practicing and engaging. So it's a, uh, it's it's not something that uh, has a sell-by date. You know, it's not like a, when you get to the stage, you can stop doing it. It's perfectly healthy. Um, it's nice, I think, to learn at the chessboard as well. So you don't want to do things only online, I feel. But... Um, it's not a bad solution at all. Uh, so that's that's a good first step. Then hopefully you will get in touch with uh, uh, your district or state or, uh, association, maybe get to play uh, compete with the best juniors, with the best uh, seniors, and you can take it forward. And then slowly you'll come into contact with coaches who can help you. Uh, but you might con- come into contact with them online. So uh, I think as a first thing, and, and this is the beauty of chess, that it loses nothing in... Uh, the online game is as high quality as uh, an over-the-board game. There's nothing lost in the transmission. So chess has never been easier to take uh, take up. And uh, that's a very, very good place to start. Rishi, you lived in Europe. You speak fluent Spanish. You speak quite a bit of German. And also, if I'm not wrong, your trainers and your seconds have come from various countries. And also, you're quite universally well-liked. So is your career, if I may say... Um, some kind of an example of international humanism, uh, you, you know, coming together of various cultures for the cause of chess. Would you say that this is the case? Uh, certainly, I felt that way, that um, uh, I'm someone who's comfortable traveling, uh, who enjoys um, playing in different countries. And, and I think that made it easier for me to compete. 
because you don't compete only with your chest preparation and your uh, analysis. You compete also with your mood during tournaments, how you feel, uh, the friends you make, the contacts you have, uh, the learnings you have, all these things. So in a sense, yes. Um, I mean, clearly my Spanish is my best second language uh, there, uh, but I speak some German as well. And um, over a long career, I have learned a lot. Um, in the early 90s, I learned a lot from the best uh, players and coaches who were predominantly European at that point. Now it's possible to get by without uh, that influence. But let's say it's still, uh, it's still a good thing, I think, to uh, not be too, to be more flexible, let's put it that way. When you, when you travel, you need to be able to uh, adjust to different cultures, different um, ways of doing things, um, different weather, whatever you... And uh, interact because uh, a lot of the things you learn uh, about chess, you'll pick up like that, with those kinds of interaction. Um, but yes, chess is uh, now... It's never been played in more countries than it is now. And... Uh, you can just see evidence in the top 10 players list. It used to be one country. Now, then it used to be one or two. And now it's nine or 10 different countries. So uh, you see that uh, effect there. Chess players surprise you from more and more new countries where you never even thought there was something happening. So it's on its way to becoming a global sport. That's it for this week's episode, but I'll be back soon to break down the next big data story. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for The Data Point by The Hindu. Thanks for listening.